Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It's Friday, and now Sunday has come. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning. On the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But then they looked up and they saw that the stone had been rolled away, even though it was very heavy. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were afraid. But the man said to them, don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was killed, but now he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they've laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. To catch you up a little bit, you know, this is Easter, and you gather here recognizing that there is something significant about this day. If not for you, then for your family, the reason you're here. If not for you, at least for the church, which you have joined us. And so instead of me just talking the language of the church without explanation, I want to kind of catch everyone up to why we're here today, okay? Just take a moment. I'm going to begin at the beginning of time, but I'm not going to take as much time to talk about. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1:27, it says that man, made in God's image and in his likeness, had the capacity for relationship with God. In Genesis 3, we see that man and woman, humanity, determined that uh, a bite from an apple, doing life their own way, was more important than living in fellowship with God. And so they rebelled against God. And from that moment on, all humanity has been in this crash uh, uh, cycle of, of despair and misery, seeking victory over the whole that is in every human's soul, uh, looking for an escape from the darkness that shrouds every human heart. Every person from the beginning of time to today has been looking for victory over the emptiness of life. We see this throughout the history of humanity. You can look at philosophers and teachers. You can look around the room today. You can look at my own life. And I have been searching. I have searched and tried to find an answer to the emptiness of life, as have you. You might not define it that way. You might not describe it that way, but that's exactly what you've been trying to do. You look at philosophers from uh, ancient Greece all the way to present day, and their whole pursuit is to find, as they describe it, meaning in life or an answer to the problem 
of life or how to get victory in life. I, I picked just one philosopher other than myself. I'm not a philosopher. I'm just a preaching dude. But I pick only one other philosopher. It's a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. And Nietzsche was a prominent philosopher that gained even more recognition and prominence after his death. In fact, I would contend that much of the way of life we see in our culture, at least the American or Western culture today, is dependent upon the teaching of Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a guy who said, everything that people have tried before me has failed to find victory over the emptiness of the soul, over the doubt and darkness of life. He said uh, that in order for us to gain victory in life and taste blessing in life, we must sail the open seas and um, uh, dismantle all the, quote, these are quotes because I love this, mendacious fabrications of present-day morality. He wrote in the 1700s. Now, here's what mendacious fabrication of present-day morality. You know what that means? If we're going to dismantle them, what he's saying is, you do you and do it with all you got. Sail the open seas free from the constraints of any moral code other than what you want to do. And you might say, well, that sounds very familiar. Of course it does. That's present-day code of conduct for uh, most of every human being and all of us in this room have chased down that dream before. Every one of us. Uh, in order to, and by the way, the, if you want to read more of Nietzsche, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to, I did. I've read everything he's written as far as I know. Uh, and Nietzsche, uh, beyond good and evil, be a good, a good place to start. Or thus spake Zarathustra. Uh, Zarathustra was a prophet that uh, Nietzsche invented, uh, the one who famously said, God is dead and we have killed him, right? And so uh, that, that's, that's where Nietzsche was. So Nietzsche, in those two books and uh, several others, he began to create this way of life that said, you just do you any way you feel like it. And the reason that he said that we need to do us any way we feel like it is because that's the only way that you can get victory. Now, victory was symbolized in one character. It's the, uh, in German, Übermensch. I just like to say that in German. It, Übermensch. Right? Superman. That's what Übermensch means. It's the Superman. The guy or the gal who gains victory by living life any way they desire. There are many who have tried Nietzsche's project. All of us in the room have chased that dream at one time or another. One of the most famous disciples of Nietzsche, at least his teaching, is a guy named Michel Foucault. He's the 20th century philosopher. And he taught along the same lines, except he added this idea that you had to conquer the power that is present in order to get victory in your everyday life. Now, can I humbly suggest that both Nietzsche and Foucault and uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard and others that followed the pursuits of this um, um, uh, project have failed 
You see, here's the thing. The emptiness of life cannot be answered with a human equation. Although we've tried. Oh, you've tried. I've tried. Nietzsche's life ended in an insane asylum, delusional, in despair, and longing for death. His project failed. Because he was trying to find a human equation to an eternal problem. He was trying to find victory, and all he found was defeat. Now, listen, that's the story that we're celebrating today. Not Nietzsche's defeat, not even our own struggle to find meaning in life, but God's answer to that human dilemma. See, God saw that we were in trouble, that there was an emptiness in our soul, a hole in our heart, a a darkness that shrouded each day that we could not escape. We might find hints and moments of joy every now and then, a little Reese peanut butter cup for our soul, but that taste of the sugar, it hits and then it's gone, and you can't eat enough Reese peanut butter cups in order to to satisfy your soul. We need victory. We need victory over the pain and the drama and the trauma that we have created for our own soul. So God sent the solution. His name is Jesus. In John chapter 1, we see that Jesus, who is God, became flesh And he dwelt among us, and he showed us who who God is. In fact, he himself is God. Jesus, who is God, became man, and he dwelt among us. He lived his life in perfect harmony with God, in perfect obedience to God. Jesus was never searching for an answer to a hole in his soul because he never had a hole in his soul. He lived in perfect harmony and obedience to God the Father so that... So that he might show us who God is. And he did with his miracles and his teaching. He uh, awed the masses of people that followed him. Except for a few. There were some. And they ended up being many. There were some religious dudes and dudettes. That didn't like Jesus at all. Because Jesus loved whom they said you shouldn't love. And Jesus embraced whom they said you shouldn't embrace. Jesus took pains to go out of his way to love on the unlovable, the outcast, the sinner, the unaccepted. Jesus was a radical. And the religious dudes didn't like it. So they plotted a plan to kill Jesus. In their human minds and intuition, they thought they were doing this for God, that they were doing, hey, listen, this this dude needs to be put out of our misery. And so they determined to kill Jesus. The devil laughed. The devil thought, yes, this is it. This is the moment because the devil had already tried to dissuade Jesus from walking the path that the Father had laid for him. Jesus maintained Obedience to the path of the Father that led him to that day when Judas betrayed Jesus, the religious leaders arrested Jesus, Pilate tried Jesus, and now Roman soldiers killed Jesus. And every 
body in hell thought it was a good day. And the religious people thought it was a great day. But what they did not know is this was the very purpose and plan of God. God determined that the way to solve our human dilemma was to provide a great sacrifice. The greatest of all sacrifices, Jesus Christ, his beloved son, to to sacrifice himself, to take the punishment of our sin upon himself so that he might defeat sin and offer us forgiveness. And so Jesus died and he was buried. But that wasn't the end of the story. You would think it was because in most stories, dead means done. (laughs) But not with Jesus. Come on, Jesus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the cosmos. He was bound by death, but death couldn't bind him forever. In three days, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he was raised from the dead. Today, today, we know that great sacrifice is required for a great victory. In order to find great victory, there must be great sacrifice. Just like um, I, I grew up in uh, my middle school uh, and, and high school and college years, I spent time in Texas. And so, uh, in the great republic of Texas, I learned uh, history. The great republic of Texas. Again, nobody gets that. <laughs> Texas is not a republic unless you live in Texas. And then it's definitely a republic. But anyway, in the, in the great state of Texas, I learned about uh, the Texas, uh, Texans fight for independence uh, from Mexico. And so, uh, in that uh, battle for independence, uh, you have heroes like uh, the leader of all the troops, uh, General Sam Houston, who was Tennessean, kicked out of Tennessee. Uh, And you had uh, other leaders like uh, uh, William Travis and Jim Bowie and the great Tennessean Davy Crockett. And all of them joined forces to help Texas gain independence from Mexico. Mexico was led by a guy named Santa Ana. And so on February 23rd, uh, 18, February 23rd, 1836, Jim Bowie, William Travis, Davy Crockett, and about 200 other ragtag band of independence fighters were stuck in a place called San Antonio, Texas, camped out in a uh, little western mission called the Alamo. And those 200 were surrounded by several thousand of General Santa Santa Ana's forces. For 13 days, the siege was laid against those 200 in the Alamo. And by about the sixth day, everybody in the Alamo knew that they were not going to survive. They could either surrender or they could die. But they were willing to sacrifice and to keep on fighting to, um, uh, to dismantle 
Santa Ana's victory and provide a way for Sam Houston uh, to garner more troops and eventually get the victory. It was their sacrifice on March the 6th in about a 90-minute battle where Santa Ana took the fort of the Alamo and invaded that territory and destroyed every person in there. And their sacrifice led to ultimate victory for Texas. It was only six weeks after the fall of the Alamo and the sacrifice of those 200, only six weeks later, that Sam Houston defeated Santa Ana at the Battle of San Jacinto. And all historians would agree that that battle in San Jacinto would have probably never happened the way it did, never turned out in victory if it hadn't have been for the sacrifice at the Alamo. Great sacrifice produces great victory. Jesus came. And he engaged in a cosmic battle with evil between God and the devil, between heaven and hell, between sin and grace. Jesus engaged this great cosmic battle and he went to war and he gave himself as sacrifice for sin so that we may have victory through him. But to get to victory, you got to go through the resurrection. We all want victory. Like Nietzsche wanted victory. Like Foucault wanted victory. Like you and I want victory. We try to do it our own way. We try to make up our own rules, and maybe that's going to dispel the darkness of our soul. But it doesn't work. A human equation will never give us an eternal solution to our soul's problem. We want to get to blessed, and that's what victory does. You see, true victory leads to a blessed life. True victory leads us to a place where we can taste blessing for ourselves. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, New Testament, uh, it's a letter written to a church in Corinth by a guy named Paul. And Paul's writing this letter, and as he's writing the letter, he is telling the people uh, in that church and, uh, that, that the resurrection is the change. The resurrection is the victory. Jesus being raised from the dead wasn't a small thing. It was everything. So listen how he closed out that uh, chapter 15. In 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57, he says, death Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who leads us into the victory through Jesus Christ. Great victories produce great blessings and the sacrifice of Jesus that produced the victory over death, hell, sin, and the devil. Produce for those who are connected to Christ great blessing. We want blessing. The reason we're looking for victory is because we want to live a blessed life. Blessing means I have a life that is perpetually soaking in satisfaction. And I have a soul that is consumed with contentment. 
That's what we want. We want a life that is perpetually soaking in satisfaction, a life that is consumed with contentment, regardless circumstances, regardless what's happening around us or within us, uh, surrounding us, we are satisfied completely and content forever. That's what we want. That's what Nietzsche was looking for. That's what you are looking for. It's what I'm looking for. I can only come through the great victory that Jesus provides through the resurrection. The resurrection means that we can have life beyond death. We can have joy beyond sorrow. We can have hope beyond despair. We can have a victory that overwhelms all defeat. We can have victory over sin. We can have strength to stand firm in the myriad of our miseries and taste a satisfied life forever. That's what we want. But to get to that blessed, to find that victory, you got to go through the empty tomb. The resurrection sets us up for a blessed life. Get it? The resurrection sets us up to have that blessed life, that life that is marked by perpetual satisfaction. Again, these uh, Reese peanut butter cups that are on the front row, I promised them to anyone who invited 100 people to church this weekend. I have two baskets. You come get yours if you did what you did. Okay? If you don't come and I still have left over, please don't worry. I've got a plan for them. I can eat both those baskets of Reese peanut butter cups and make no mistake, it will be great for a season. But there will be a crash at the end. And that's what human solutions to an eternal problem do for us. They, they provide great boost for a moment, but there's a great crash at the end. We, we can't work our way out of the darkness of the soul, but God has provided the solution. His name is Jesus who gives us victory and leads us to blessing through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So here's, here's the way it works. When we are connected to Jesus by faith, we find blessing because Jesus defeats sin and death. Jesus defeats sin and death. We talked about this. I've talked about it. I want to talk about it just for a moment. Here's the thing. You have sinned and I have sinned. Sin is rebellion against God. Only the most narcissistic, arrogant, conceited person would ever think, I have never done anything wrong. If someone ever talks to you and says, I've never done anything wrong, you need to call a psychologist, a pastor, maybe an exorcist. <laughs> All joking aside, any person that thinks that they've done nothing wrong, there's a, there's a deeper issue there. Of course I've done wrong. Of course I've failed. And when you put God in the equation, whether you believe in God or not, if you put God in the equation, God in perfect purity and holiness and majesty, he demands perfection for us to have a relationship with him. And we have fallen short. 
Everything that we believe as followers of Jesus written in God's word teach us that my sin and your sin separates us from God and we can't create anything to build the bridge to God. We are separated from him. Our sin carries with it the very essence of defeat and despair. But God, because he has loved us, sent Jesus to take us in the death grip of our sin and make us alive through Jesus Christ. Jesus was killed. And that's what the young man said in Mark chapter 16, verse 6. He said to the ladies, don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was killed. Why was Jesus killed? He was killed for your sin. He was killed for you. He was killed for me. The penalty and punishment of my sin sent Jesus to a cross where he would take the punishment on my behalf. God treated Jesus the way he should have treated me so that he then could treat me the way he treated Jesus. God sent Jesus to take my place and to take my sin and offer me victory over sin, forgiveness for my everyday life. Don't you want to be forgiven? Good gracious. If you can acknowledge you've done something wrong, then you know that there is a desperate need to be forgiven. But that forgiveness with God doesn't come through the works that you and I do. Forgiveness with God comes through the grace that he offers because Jesus died for our sin. Jesus gives us victory over sin by offering us forgiveness through his own sacrifice. Jesus offers us victory over death by joining hands with him who conquered death forever. Look, Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. He's not faking it. He's not swooning. He is dead. He is dead, and there is no hope except he wins the battle over death. He gains the victory over the devil. In the cosmic interplay between God and and the devil, good and evil. Jesus wins. He takes captive devil and death and sin, and he reigns supreme as the Lord who has conquered death forever so that you and I might live in victory over death, so that you and I might taste life here and forever. When we connect with Jesus, we are blessed because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he defeats our sin and he defeats the death that awaits us. When we connect with Jesus, we are blessed because Jesus dismantles fear. Fear makes you do crazy things, right? Fear makes you do all kinds of insane things, say all kinds of ugly things. Fear makes you do crazy things in relationships, crazy things in your life. If you're afraid that you're never going to be um, uh, in a relationship that satisfies, then you do all kinds of crazy to get into a relationship that you think might satisfy you, and yet that relationship doesn't satisfy you. So you're in this cycle of doing crazy things to get a relationship that will satisfy you, even though that relationship will never satisfy you.
But because Jesus has gained the victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave, we don't have to fear anymore when we're connected to him. We have the blessing of fearless living when we're walking in fellowship with the Savior, the Savior, the one who conquers death. See, I believe that Jesus was dead. He dismantled, defeated, destroyed the devil and hell and all its forces. And then by faith, I took hold his hand and I followed after him. He made me fit for God's family so that I sit at God's table as a son of the living God. I live in fellowship with him. I am walking every day, not alone, not in my own ingenuity, not in my own power, but in the grip of the living God, Jesus Christ, who is victor over all things. And when I'm walking with him, folks, I'm not going to be afraid of you. Right? I'm not going to be afraid of the dark. I'm not going to be afraid. I might be afraid of snakes a little bit. Now, listen, we don't have to fear being alone anymore. Don't have to fear being alone because God through Jesus has made us fit for his family and now we walk in fellowship as sons and daughters of the living God and there's no better relationship than that. We don't have to fear our failures, past, present, or future. Why? Because Jesus has already taken the punishment and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can live in fellowship with God. Our failures do not define us. They're not final for us. And even though I have failed miserably and pathetically, I am still accepted by my Father in heaven. I don't have to fear any longer. And by the way, just practically, just, just practically, if Jesus really did die and he really did conquer death and I really do belong to him, then why in the world would I be afraid of anything else? Jesus dismantles fear. When, when we walk... When we walk with Jesus, when we're connected to Jesus, we are blessed because he gives us victory over sin and death. He gives us victory over fear. But we're blessed because Jesus delivers hope. Hope. We live in a hopeless world. Can you imagine the hopelessness that uh, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus felt when Jesus was killed? That's the whole theme of It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday and, 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 and... uh, hell's laughing, it's Friday, and, and the, the, the evil is grinning, and it's Friday, and people are sinning, and it's Friday, and Mary's crying, and, and all that. It's a picture of hopelessness. The one that they have followed is gone. He's dead. He is done. When Mary and the followers got, got when uh, the ladies got to the tomb, by the way, let's just have a shout out to the courage of these lady followers. Do you realize that not one man could plumb up the, pluck up the courage to get out of the shadows of the upper room to go see Jesus at the empty tomb? But those ladies had the courage to step out and step up, and they went to the tomb, even though these men who had proclaimed themselves to be these disciples and followers and first and second chair in the kingdom of God. They were hiding, but these ladies, man, they stood up. What courage. So here we have these ladies and man, they're, they, they expect dead because when you're dead, it is done. There is no second chapter. They were hopeless. Peter was hopeless. 
and the disciples were hopeless. Everything was gone. There was no future. <laughs> Except Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. And in that moment, the glory of God shone through the horizon and the haze of doubt and confusion and fear and death. And God himself revealed himself through Jesus to a watching world, to his closest followers, and said, I am greater than death and anything else in this world. So if you hold on to me, you're holding on to hope. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the rolling away of the stone from a tomb, God opened the door for us to have hope that never dies and a hope that never disappoints. When we hold the hand of the one who conquered death and hell, we live in the hope that overcomes the grave. Today, I, I, we read a few minutes ago 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and, and I, I just... I, I, I'm so inspired by this passage because it speaks to my heart about the hope that I have. And the reason for that hope is not the work that I do. The reason for hope is not, is not the place where you're sitting or the people that are around you uh, or the work that you do. The reason for hope is found in the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Uh, listen again, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter sings this song of praise because there's been a hope awakened in his heart. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, one that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Today, friends, the resurrection of Jesus gives us victory because he gives us hope. Because he lives, I truly can face tomorrow. Because he lives, truly all my fears are gone. I know that I am in his hand. So I can walk and live every day soaking in satisfaction, consumed by contentment. Not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. I live in victory because of Jesus. There's a place in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 11, where Jesus stands before a group of people like this. Where God stands before a group of people like this and he says... Today, I set before you blessing and cursing. Blessing and cursing. And those are the two categories of humanity. Blessing and cursing. Am I living under the blessing of God... Because I have shared in the victory of Jesus. Or am I living under the curse of my own sin, hopeless and in despair?
there are only those two categories of humanity, blessing, cursing. Which one are you? Which category are you? There are only two. There's not a third. There's not a fifth. There's not a tenth. There are only two categories. I live under the blessing of God because Jesus has transformed my life, because I'm connected to Him by faith. I've been changed on the inside. I've been forgiven my sin forever. I've been brought into the family of God, made fit by the righteousness of Christ. I am under God's blessing. That's me. And even though I don't live perfectly, even though I don't do everything right, I'm still under the blessing because by faith I've entered into this relationship with God through Jesus. Is that you? Or are you under the curse of sin? Man, I've tried to live like a Nietzsche life. Do it my own way. I've tried to be my own superman or superwoman. Thinking that if I just do me the way I want to do me, then I'm going to have victory. But the emptiness remains. The shadow over my soul doesn't dissipate. I'm under the curse of sin. My, my, my appeal to you, God's great offer to you, is if you're under the curse of sin, that can change today. And I've been praying that it would change today. Whether you're online or in the room, there, there is an opportunity today for you to choose Jesus. To choose to connect to him by faith. To, to say, God, my sin is my problem and it separates me from you. But God, I know you sent Jesus to be the eternal solution for my spiritual problem. I believe Jesus died for my sin, for my sin on a cross, to pay the price that I should have paid so that I could be forgiven. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead so that I could have a new life and live in that newness of life. So God, I pray that you would forgive my sin, and I ask Jesus to take charge of my life. The Bible says when we talk to God like that, and we, we choose Jesus like that, then there is a change that takes place in us. And that change is a transfer from being under the curse of sin to being under the blessing of God. Don't you want to be under that blessing? So today, if you're uh, not yet, or you're uncertain where you are in that category, would you cry out to God, admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus is your solution, and confessing that he is your Lord? And if you'll do that, I promise you, the Bible promises you, God himself promises that everything changes from that moment forward. For the rest of us who are a part of God's family through faith in Christ, it doesn't mean we're better than those. It just means we chose Christ. And we're no longer under the curse of sin. Now we're under the blessing of God. It's open to everybody here. You can do that. That's, that's your option. And for those who have chosen that option today, isn't it great to be blessed? 
Isn't it great to walk in the victory that Jesus provides through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead? Isn't it great to be blessed? It's changed my life. And it's changing my life every day. In a moment, we're going to sing a song called The Goodness of God. And, and it's, it's uh, as our team comes, uh, I have to tell them that because I, was, I didn't go by the script. So uh, the team that's going to come and help us sing this song is about to sing. Uh, y'all didn't know we have code words and such. I'm so subtle. Will y'all come on up? That's how subtle I am. We're going to sing Goodness of God. And I, I don't know if you know this song. We've, we sing it here often. And the reason, one of the reasons we sing it here often is because it is right now my favorite song. See, what you might not know about me if you've been here. Now, you certainly know that. You certainly know that I have a granddaughter, her name is Nora, and I have another granddaughter, her name is Lucy. You know that. What you may not know is that even though I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm a wicked man. I, I am. I struggle with sin every day. I don't pretend to be anything different than that. When we sing this song, it reminds me of my own wickedness, but can I tell you what it does? It even more reminds me of God's faithfulness. Because I chose Christ and I'm under the blessing of God, even in my wickedness, God displays his faithfulness and I can run and live under the blessing that God provides. So when, we, when I sing this song, I'm thinking, oh God, you've been so faithful. All my life, you've been so faithful. I'm walking in the blessing. So as we sing this song together, I invite you to think about the blessing of God, the goodness of God.